Could, could we just stand together and just, just push our hand, to, you know, point our hand toward Pastor Terry? And uh, Father, we, we want to thank you for, for Pastor Terry, for his life, for his obedience, for his answer to the call of God. And we thank you, Lord, for his submission to that. And we thank you, Lord, that his heart is to hear from you and to be led of you and to do what he sees you doing, Lord. And so, Father, we thank you for his ministry. We thank you for his life. I, I just thank you for the opportunity I had uh, last night just to spend about an hour, hour and a half just uh, hearing more about him and getting to know him better and getting to, to hear some of the history and his story and the things that God has done miraculously in him and through him. And so, Lord, we just pray that, uh, that, we just, that the Spirit of God would just rest upon him greatly this morning, that you would just give him a greater measure of, of anointing today to be able to bring, Lord, what you have purposed upon his heart to share with this congregation. And, Father, may we be strengthened and may we be edified and built up because of the work that your servant is about to perform. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Uh, is it possible to get some water there? Uh, just uh, been, as we say in Ontario, out west, and that can be anywhere from Regina to Vancouver Island. I know that's not the same place, but I've been out west now for nine days and uh, uh, was frankly quite sick for about seven of it. So this is the best I've felt so far. So that might be worrisome to you because now I'm feeling better. I might, I might just talk and talk and talk. But uh, seriously, I'll stick to the topic today. Um, I want to thank you here at in Vagerville at Maple Street Worship Center because you've been faithful for years now. Uh, thank you so much. And uh, supporting our work in Bangladesh. Now, just so you understand, and... Uh, Just so you understand the situation, I am a global worker with the POC. That's what they call missionaries now, global worker. But I live in Canada. So this is a 21st century uh, missions. And we got to get Bangladesh up there in your, uh, your uh, flags. Uh, so I, I am an itinerant. Melissa and I do seminars and uh, life coaching and consulting with leaders and leadership teams. And... About one-third of my time is spent uh, doing the missions work with Bangladesh. But a lot of it's done from my own home. I mean, this is 21st century, so every week I Skype. In fact, I just got an email this morning from my partner in Bangladesh, and he said I waited, uh, which would have been Saturday night, for half an hour for you for Skype. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm in a different time zone, and I missed that one. So uh, every week, I'm in Skype with the leader of the ministry over there, and the POC has a way to get funds to them, and also we have encrypted communication, uh, courtesy of Voice of the Martyrs, whom I also do work for when I'm overseas, uh, which I keep very quiet, because that is supporting persecuted brethren. And you know, there's more persecution Occurring now against the church than ever in history. And there are martyrs every day. I had a friend of a friend who died in Bangladesh because ISIS sympathizers raided a cafe, and anybody who couldn't quote the Koran or had brown skin was held hostage and killed. So this is the reality of these days. But um, 
uh, we have encrypted communication, and then I go over, it's typically been three times a year, I go over to uh, teach, monitor, encourage, and meet with various leaders. So it's unique, but in the 21st century, it works. So here's what I'm able to do uh, in that model. Uh, because of the connections that I have developed over there, and I've worked very hard at relationships, so that at this point I'm on a, on a friend basis with the Church of God leaders, the Assembly of God leaders, the YWAM leaders, and some others uh, in Bangladesh, probably one-quarter to one-third of the evangelical Christians in that nation. I'm in relationship with the leaders of the ministries. And just to remind you, backpedal one step here, Bangladesh is a country that would be the same size as take the Yellowhead Highway and go straight down to the U.S. border in Alberta. That's about the size of Bangladesh and 160 million people. So add another 60 Calgarys and 50 Edmontons and as many Vagervilles as you like and there you go. There's the population. Uh, it's the most crowded non-island in the world. So uh, I'm there at the command of the Lord, but the opportunity is magnificent because uh, of the 160 million, about 130 million are Muslims. Of the 130 million, about 100 million are cultural Muslims because you can have a radical Muslim, uh, an orthodox uh, uh, Muslim. You can have a cultural Muslim and a modern Muslim. Modern Muslim would be the type that are just... They have the M on their identity card, and it's actually on your identity card in that country, an M, H, or a C, Muslim, Hindu, or Christian. And, uh, you know, they're ones that don't follow. But the cultural ones, there's probably a hundred million of them in the country. And they're very reachable because they, they identify as Muslim. Uh, they're poor, living in the villages, can't always even afford to take a day off work to go pray. They don't do the five-time-a-day thing. They get in once in a while when they can and for festivals. And they know there's a God. They call him Allah. And uh, some of them don't even read. But they also know that Isa is mentioned in the Quran. Do you know who Isa is? Jesus. And so our guys come to them and say, would you like to hear more about Isa? Here are the Gospels, which are called the Angels. They are referenced in the Quran. You see, the Quran says that the Gospels are, are from God. But the Muslims, including uh, Muhammad, said the ones the Christians use are corrupted. So we don't go there and we're not debating people who are educated we're in the villages we just say would you like to see the angels in here about Isa many say yes and they get saved so I'm going to show you some pictures and how that works but what I've done is with this man over there uh, one day we were praying for him in this room I remember and had a picture of him up on that on that screen uh, about three years ago but um, his name is uh, Paul. His English name is Paul. And uh, that's what I'll call him. I'm going to hold this a little closer so I don't have to yell. And uh, Paul is an educated man, lovely, spirit-filled man. He and his son run this ministry. They live in the main city and up in the north, getting close up there at Kathmandu and Nepal and not, you know, within a drive of Everest. And uh, Bhutan is on that side and then Tibet, way up there in that little area where... 
Uh, it's isolated. Uh, and there's only, you know, a few tens of millions of people. <laughs> we, our evangelists go into the Muslim villages and look for a man of peace. Now open your Bible to Matthew 10, and you can see where Jesus first did this. It's Matthew 10, and uh, Luke 10 is where we uh, have Jesus sending out people like this. And in Matthew 10, he sent out the 12. He called them to himself, gave them authority to drive out evil spirits and to heal disease and sickness. And then he said, uh, down in verse 7, As you go, preach this message. The kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, which is any kind of skin disease. Drive out demons, freely have received, freely give. And down uh, below at verse 11, he says, Whatever town or village you enter, search for a worthy person there, a man of peace, we say. And enter the home and give it your greeting. If the home is deserving, let your peace rest on it. If not, let your peace return to you. That is actually, that in Matthew 10 and Luke 10 is the world's first short-term mission teams. And Jesus sent them out in advance of the resurrection and Pentecost as a preview of what it's like when you are filled with the Spirit and sent out to do ministry. And we do it exactly like that. And the villages look exactly like they did in Jesus' time, except for tin roofs and cell phones. But other than that, it's a very biblical look to it. And when I read the Bible now and it says, you know, lame man beside the road, I go, oh, yeah, I've seen him. And when it talks about the beggar here, oh, yeah, I've seen him. And it's so starkly similar it's the same type of culture as Jesus' time, and so the same manner works. So we send out these eight men, and they go do their thing, and I'm going to share some of the stories. You ready for that? We good? Okay, so first of all, it's, uh, is it Kristen? Yeah, thanks, Kristen. She worked hard to get this together. First of all, my favorite sermon introduction. Let's start with that, okay? Sock puppets. And uh, there they are. There it is. I love this one. I believe there's an unseen hand behind everything we do, says one sock puppet to the other. Did you get that? Think about it. There's an unseen hand behind everything we do. I believe that, do you? There's an unseen hand behind everything we do. And uh, it's amazing to see God at work. Okay, let's move on now. I'm going to show you how I get around often in Bangladesh. Next slide, please. I'm sorry. Okay, there it is. Uh, this is uh, Dhaka in the fall. Uh, you know, it always comes up looking so much nicer on the slides. It's very dirty and smelly in that town. You never have to put on sunscreen, even when it's 38 and sunny, because not too much sun is getting through the environment there. Uh, this, the, the man, uh, of course, is the rickshaw. The walla is the rickshaw driver. Uh, the man on the left there has the same hairdo as me, but brown skin. That's, that's Paul, and he's my uh, close, close friend. And we uh, trust each other with our lives, and he's been doing the work for us. Okay, next slide. Uh, just do what you can here. Okay. Uh, all right. Um, we're going to keep moving on. Uh, just let's see, what have we got next there, Kristen? Okay, so the man here on the left is Shimon. 
And uh, I want to tell you about him for a moment or two. Shimon is one of our younger evangelists. He's older than he looks. He's got kids that are uh, uh, early teens. But um, Shimon is a deeply spiritual man. And one day I was leaving the room. I go over there and they come down on the buses. I got smarter in my old age because I used to travel around on a bus and rickshaw, motorcycle and, you know, 13 hours overnight in the bus. Now I just go to the Bible Society. We get a safe room there and I let them all come in from around the country. Whoever wants to meet me, we've got three days, you come in and let them do the overnight bus trip now. But uh, Shimon and, and uh, the eight, uh, seven other evangelists, they came into down there to meet me. This was a year ago, early 2016. And um, uh, I'd, I'd taught for three hours that day, and I was leaving the room, and I heard the Lord speak to me by the Spirit, said, make sure they all speak in tongues. And I thought, I thought all the evangelists that I had did. And remember, they speak no English, these guys. My... Uh, uh, the translator and leader, Paul does. And so um, I turned around and I said uh, through the translator, who would like to receive this gift? And Shimon put up his hand. Everybody else, I guess, had received it. I laid my hands on him, and within, within 30 seconds, he was speaking English in tongues. And he said, Ah, oh, Holy Spirit, ah, oh, Lord God, all power, on my hands and on my heart, on my hands and on my heart, Every time I talk to you, you always listen. Every time I call to you, you always answer. Holy Spirit, all power, all power. Pretty cool, huh? Now, who was that message for? It was for me. Day of Pentecost, they received power. They spoke in the languages of people gathered. It, the messages were for the people gathered to encourage them. We asked him later what happened. He says, Brother Terry prayed for me. I felt power. I fell down. I don't know what else happened. That was his day. My day was a beautiful message spoken to me. But Shimon is like a, an antenna that picks up the presence of God. And he just is so sincere and powerful. So this lady here, uh, um, she, her husband left her. She's actually a Hindu. Her husband left her, and so now she's going to be a pauper for the rest of her life. She'll have to go do road construction because the women do the road construction there. They put the big bowls of gravel on their head and walk around with them while in the middle of the traffic. Or she'll have to go work in the rice fields uh, six, to, six to eight days a week. And, uh, <laughs> and that'll be her life for the rest of her life because a man left her, and now she's used goods, and nobody will want her now. So Shimon gave her uh, a New Testament, and she was reading and came to Acts 4.12, and it said there's no other name under heaven by which people should be saved. She came back and said, I don't get this. I don't understand this, but I can't read any more. This keeps bothering me. I must know what this means. What does it mean there's no name under heaven by which people should be saved other than this name? She became a Christian. Next slide, please. And uh, that is her baptism. Praise the Lord. And uh, that water is green, and it is full of nasties, but uh, it is the only water they can use to baptize. Okay, next slide. Um, here is from our Christmas program. One of the things we do is we have the seedlings, seeds and seedlings program, which is like a pre-evangelism, early evangelism for kids. We've translated into Bangla, and uh, our guys 
go to four different public schools where most are Muslims, and they are able to teach this after-school program. And so it's a way to bring the gospel in. So what we did is my home church in Grimsby, Ontario, sponsored all 120 families and did like a Samaritan's Purse Christmas for them. And they wrote the letters, sent the pictures, and then we bought all the stuff over there. And so this is one of the families that's receiving it. And they also got the gospel. We were able to preach the gospel to them. Which I think that's pretty cool. 500 Muslims and, uh, and the first time. Out of 120 families, probably 100 were receiving their first ever Christmas gift. So uh, it impacts them huge. Next slide. There they are reading the children's picture Bible. You see, they're really for the adults, but we give them for the kids. And the adults that can hardly read, just scoop them up and read them too. Next slide. Uh, keep going there, Kristen. Okay, yeah, we'll just have a quick look at that. The Lord spoke to me. That's, that's, uh, those five men in the middle are five of our evangelists. Uh, I was teaching them this last time in December when I was there about being called, about the call of God and that they are, you know, uh, they have the highest calling you could possibly have. And at the end, I use the scripture, how blessed are the feet of them on the mountains are the feet of them that bring good news. And I felt the Lord say, buy them new shoes for their beautiful feet. So they all wanted, uh, they wanted sandals because it's often floods and the sandals work better and dry out quicker. So they were pretty happy with that. Next slide. They look well-dressed, but part of that's because clothes are so cheap over there. $7 for a pair of jeans, and uh, that's after they mark up. Okay, so here's the whole crowd. And in, in the Bangla culture, you're supposed to not smile when you get a photo taken, because then you look more serious. So I'm always trying to get them to smile, going hashi hashi, which means smile. So we kind of got halfway there <laughs> on this photo. We didn't quite make it. But uh, they're really not having as bad a day as you might think. So on the left is Paul, then our best evangelist, Tularam, then Shimon, then Jogat, then Mongla, then Dijen, then Nipan, Dulal, and on the right is Jacob, one of the few big Bangla people I know. He's about six foot two and about 250. And one day he went down under the power of the Spirit right on top of me, so I know how much he weighs. So next slide, please. Uh, okay, so just give you an idea. So this is in the Bible Society, which is a safe place to meet. So we'll just meet all day, and they'll pull out the Bible, and we will just talk and pray. Now, uh, next slide. Um, these guys are all uh, enrolled now in Bible school. And this time, they brought out their highlighting pens and their Bible and their notepads. And this is fantastic because most of them have never been to school. So they're learning how to learn by doing the Bible school course. And they're really starting to put the Bible together. So, of course, our ministry funds that. But this is, uh, there's uh, Paul on the right translating what I'm saying is, I can't remember exactly what I'm saying at that moment. Keep going. I look pretty pale compared to those guys, don't I? And then we got into twos and we're praying for, for the understanding and filling of the Holy Spirit. We're always doing that. We get together. Next slide. Thank you. Next slide. Thank you. And next slide. This is the result. <laughs> you know, at first, I almost didn't believe it. 
because it seemed every time we prayed, the power of the Spirit would come upon them. But these people have no context. They've never been in church. They've never been to a Pentecostal service or a reform service or a Catholic mass. And when the power of the Spirit comes on them, they just get overwhelmed and they begin to call out to the Lord. And so this is kind of normal. As you can see, this is a terrazzo floor. This isn't a carpet with an usher behind you so you can take a courtesy drop for Jesus. They're just kind of like, out. Okay, so next slide. Um, you know, so at this point, I just kind of wander around praying in tongues and waiting for them to wake up. So that's my day when I'm there with those guys. And then they go out and do it. They go out and do what we're talking about in Matthew 10. So next slide. Um, this is, a, uh, this is a, another group I support. There's Bihari who are Pakistani ethnically, so the Bangladeshis hate them, if you know the history. Bangladesh used to be East Pakistan, and then they tried to make them speak Urdu. There was a language war, rebellion, a million people killed. So the, Pak- the Bangladeshis don't like the Pakistanis. So a bunch of them have been in a ghetto since 1972. And they've got this, this place, and World Vision has come in and put in some toilets and things, but it's an isolated ghetto. And people that I met there now, they have worked for 11 years, five days a week, reaching out to the ghetto people. So our ministry now supports them because they have no means. And they have a church in the ghetto of Urdu-speaking Muslims. And they're uh, put on a Christmas play for the others in the ghetto. So these are some of the kids. And uh, next slide, please. And there are, I don't know how many, these are mostly moms, uh, people that live really in squalor. Um, You have to be there and experience it, smell it, walk down through the corridors. It's like some sort of casbar or just concrete, and you'll just walk down. This will be the street, and you walk down. There's holes in the concrete wall, and that's somebody's house. There's just a room in there, and it's all dark. It's just like something I've never seen before. So for these people to come out and be invited and get some food to a play is, is like you winning the trip to, to Disney World. You know, it's a big deal. And this is what we do for them. And many have come to Jesus. Keep going. Uh, and there's some of the Christians, those that now follow Jesus, put on a play for the others and sing. They've got a little house church going on there. Next slide. Keep going there, Kristen. We'll got a few more. Um, we're able to keep moving there. Yeah, this is Sanchoy. That's Paul's son. He's uh, he does most of the seedlings uh, program, and we just wanted to show you some of the kids how happy they are to receive their stuff. Next slide. Okay, uh, this isn't quite in order, but that's Dulal. So Dulal went to uh, he went to the market. Matthew 10, and found a man there that was willing to talk, chatted him up, kept visiting him over the course of three or four weeks, became friends, and, the guys, and then he risked being able to tell him, I'm a follower of Isa, and I'd like to tell you. So the man said, come into my home. He came into his home. His wife had gynecological problems for years, and Dulal prayed for her, and within three days, she started to get better. Within two weeks, she was completely well. And the, the wife and the husband said, no one has ever come to us like this. 
uh, paid attention to us, and no one's prayers has ever worked. We want to follow Isa. How do we get baptized? So that's the lady right there. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that wonderful? That's worth, worth all the trouble. Keep going. Um, let's just... Uh, yeah, this is the husband and wife as he instructs them before the baptism. Keep going. You know these are real, uh, authentic uh, conversions because if you are willing to dunk your head in that water, you're a believer and probably need a healing service immediately after anyways. I took two pastors over, uh, and there was a river like that, and I said, I want to give you the honor. You can do the baptizing today. I'll stay on the shore. They came out 20 minutes later and all the little red marks on their legs and all. They're like, yeah, thanks for the honor. (laughs) Yeah, they had a lot of visitors on their legs in that uh, water. So, okay, keep moving. And I think we're just about done. Any more? Just uh, next slide. Yeah, that's the last. So that's what Vagerville Church, what Maple Street's missions money is doing. Hallelujah. Let's give Jesus a hand for that. You see, it's way more effective than if I went there and held a crusade. First of all, our actions over there are like tracer bullets that point to all the believers and all of that. So I have to keep a real low profile. I stay in DACA, they come to me. If I go into those villages, I upset the apple cart. Because they're very, very poor people and they immediately say, how come you know the white wealthy guy? And then these people would be uh, hounded. So we have to really, uh, we have to be very careful. But to me, this is the Bible in action. It's really happening today. And I get a chance to help make a dent in these, uh, the people that sat in darkness have seen a great light. Okay, well, keep your Bible open. Uh, Matthew 9, right there beside Matthew 10. We're going to actually go back to Matthew 8, do a little introduction. And I want to talk about new normal. Everybody say new normal new normal. How would you like a new normal this year? One that's better than last year. Is that a good thing? Yeah, I I would like that. I want to share with you uh, what I believe is a a revelation out of the word that can uh, lift your faith to a new level this year. And I'm believing that to happen for this house and for this church family. So, What's normal these days? You know, there's a lot of new normals. We, politics had a certain normal about it. Uh, in the last year, American politics has a new normal. <laughs> Let's say no more there, okay? I'm not taking sides. But it's, it's a new normal, or what's normal coming out of certain places, it's different than it used to be. Um, even in Canada, we have a new normal. Uh, marijuana is going to be legalized soon, and this is going to be a new normal for uh, society. Uh, it's yet to be seen what happens with that. And as Christians and as people who are like, you know, north of 50, I'll just say, okay, so uh, as we move on, I, I was 50-11 recently, so I'm still 50-something. And, uh, but as people that move down the road in this way, We're not really always looking for change. Oh, hallelujah, I want everything to be different next year. It's just not the prayer we normally pray. But the only thing that's constant is change right now. And there's going to be new normals occur all the time. 
Well, I want to talk about what's normal in church. You know, what's normal in church needs to change. And we need to come with a new level of expectation and believing that God is going to be able to use us to invite people, and, and it's going to be new. But back in Jesus' time, there was a new normal that people weren't ready for. Think of just before Jesus' ministry started. What was the normal level of faith at that time? The normal level of faith was go to the synagogue, pray your prayers, uh, read the Old Testament, and believe one day, maybe soon, there's going to be another prophet come like Elijah. Maybe even that Savior. But normal was to just go about your, your, your Jewish synagogue business and hope that there was something coming down the road. That was normal level of faith. Then Jesus burst on the scene and normal changes. Now normal is there's a holy guy wandering around and if you can get in front of him and get his attention, he might touch you and you might get healed. Well, you know, in a time when there's no, there's absolutely no uh, health care provided, this was a big deal. And so there was a new normal around, and let's look at what that looked like, okay? I'm just going to highlight some scriptures. Go with me to Matthew chapter 8, and it says that uh, a man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand, and what? What does it say? touched him. So here's a man saying, uh, yeah, I'm going to challenge you up there, so you're going to keep with me here. We're going to jump from scripture to scripture. Good work. Get in front of Jesus. He might touch you, and you'll you'll be healed. And uh, so people started to get this idea. Then verse 8, the centurion comes to him. This is a higher level of faith, but still the same idea. He says, just say the word, just speak the word, and my boy will be healed. Get Jesus' attention and get him to speak it or touch you. You could get healed. Um, Then it, uh, uh, down in verse 15, same chapter. Uh, Peter's mother-in-law is sick with a fever. Boy, did I ever claim this scripture over and over and over for the last week, and I was just waiting for the moment that I'd be 100% well. It didn't happen quite that way, but we got through it. He touched her hand, and the fever left her. Isn't that beautiful? I would love if that was our new normal these days. People that, that have the fever, uh, flu shot or not, you know, Jesus would just touch them. So there you go. There's the touch. And then you get uh, verse 16. It says, he drove out the spirits with a word and healed all the sick. So normal is that get Jesus' attention somehow, and if he touches you or speaks a word, you're more than likely going to get healed. Okay, you're with me now? That's the community level of faith. Now, not everybody believes that, but amongst the believers, that was the current level of faith. Okay? Just... Wave at me if you followed me on that one. Okay, good. So, but then in verse, um, uh, well, let's go to chapter 9, verse 18. One more time, a ruler came and knelt before him. Chapter 9, verse 18 said, My daughter's just died, but come and put your hand on her and she'll live. 
So there, it's upping it a little bit. Even if she died, come and put your hand on her and she'll live. And this is a ruler. So then we have something that blows normal out of the water. Verse 20. Just then a woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak. She said to herself, if only I touch his cloak, I will be healed. Now let's look at how unusual this is. First of all, she's a woman. And in, in Bangladesh today, it's the same way. The women don't make initiation in public. Okay? If they're spoken to, they'll speak. But a woman in a crowd would not go up to the speaker or the leader. That's not normal. Secondly, she's sick. She's unclean. She shouldn't be touching anybody. That's a big, big no-no. You can go back in the law and read lots of stuff on how that's not right according to the law. So here she is. You know, it's like having somebody coughing up a storm beside you on the uh, airplane. You know, <laughs> you shouldn't be doing that. You should have a mask on or you should have stayed home. I was trying not to be that guy this past week. Uh, but she comes out in public as a woman. And, and thirdly, it's typically the people who are either um, uh, like the ruler. This is a ruler. The other was a centurion. Jesus teaching the crowd. The guy with the sword and the shield, he can just walk up, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me. I've had to do that once in Bangladesh. We were on a train, and I was like uh, not experienced well, so I actually brought my suitcase with me, which was a real bad idea because the trains are like this crowded that we had to go six hours, and you got to make sure you don't have to use the facilities when you're on the train. And so six hours of that, and... They surprised me and said, oh, this is our stop. We're getting off at this one instead of that one. And they were, they were saying the stop. And, like, there was no way. I had to get from about here to the doorway, and then I had to get down onto the platform. And if I don't get off, like, forget it. The train's going, and I'm, I, I don't know where I'm going to be, you know. So I had to pull that uh, important Westerner routine. And I just put my little rolly suitcase in front of me, put an angry look on my face, which is what the wealthy people always do. Put the angry look on and just start making loud noises and the waters part for you. So, trust me, I didn't enjoy it, but I'm like, get out of the way, get out of the way, like this. So, then when I got to the edge, I realized they didn't have the stairs. Uh, it was like a drop, so I just grabbed my bag and said, Geronimo, and jumped. So, I got off the train, but only because in that culture, I'm considered important. I'm obviously wealthy, and I'm white, and that's the way it works. So uh, it kind of bothered me for a long time after that, thinking how certain people are privileged and others aren't. But in Jesus' time, it was the same thing. And here you've got this woman who's, she's at the low end of the totem pole when it comes to privilege. And she says in the middle of the crowd, forget this thing about having to get his attention and hoping he'll touch you. If I wait for that, I'm going to die. I'm not putting up with this. 
I know that what's in him can heal me. I'm going to go get him. So there's a little lady pushing her way through the crowd. And she must have been getting some people really ticked off. But she's like, no way. He doesn't even have to notice me. He doesn't even have to know I'm there. If I could just grab his coat, just his cloak. That's my act of faith. And I'm going to draw from him everything I need today. Nobody had ever done that before in history. Now, if you're theologically inclined, and you know what a Christophany is, you know, when Jesus has shown up in, you know, like with the angels and with Abraham and other places where, where the angel of the Lord shows up, everybody's... But here she is with Jesus himself. Let me at him. Yeah, I got my healing. Amazing. Yeah, that's, that's better than your average church lady, you know. She did something that nobody thought. Jesus turned, verse 22, and saw her and said, What the heck do you think you're doing? You are out of order. Get to the back of the line. Isn't that great that Jesus never treats people that way? He always loves faith. And he says, take heart, daughter. Your faith has healed you. You see, to call her daughter, implicit daughter of Abraham, was to raise her status. He didn't say woman. He called her daughter. For everybody around who went like, "Uh uh-oh, what's going to happen next? Awkward. He goes, take heart, daughter. Really? Your faith has healed you. What? You're okay with that? You, you don't mind somebody pushing through the crowd and grabbing you? Do you, you respect them? You complimented them? Well, apparently, that reverberated through the community. How do I know? Turn to Matthew chapter 14. A few weeks later, uh, I was looking through the miracles of Jesus chronologically. So it's not always that a later chapter is later, but in this case it is, and it's not too much later. So we're going to say sometime within the next six to ten weeks. That's just a guess. Jesus was, uh, he had fed the 5,000, then he went across the lake, walked on the water, you know, just another week. And uh, then he lands on the other side. And verse 34, Matthew 14, verse 34 to 36. It says, when they had crossed over, meaning Jesus and his disciples in the boat. Okay, we're at Matthew 14, verse 34 to 36. When the men of that place recognized Jesus, they sent word to all the surrounding country. People brought all their sick to him, and what? Begged him, yeah, leave it right there. Begged him to let the sick just touch the edge of his cloak. Hello. The unprecedented act of that woman now was common. You've heard of the Me Too movement? Well, this was a different kind of Me Too movement. If, if 
she can touch him, me too. If he could do that, me too. And what was considered way up there, the high water mark, now becomes normal. Apparently the River Seine in uh, Paris is overflowing. Was, did you, any of you see that? Sitting in the airport, uh, you know, and the news thing's looping. So I saw it about 20 times. And uh, there's this gargoyle, there's this figure that's like this, you know, uh, at some bridge. And they mark the floods by where the water goes. And it's like, in 1910, it was here. And right now, we're only at his buckle. You know, so he's got away. And it's like, you can see this. It's like the statue's like, let's say, no more, please, no more. And, uh, but there's the watermarks along the side. They've actually posted the high watermarks. And there's even like a, like a ruler. And, uh, you know, 1910 was the high watermark. And they're all waiting to see if the water will get back to that height. So this woman was like the high water mark at that point. But all of a sudden, the river's flowing that high for everybody. That's amazing. And it says that all who touched it were healed. Isn't that fantastic? Your little old breakthrough, your individual testimony, your breakthrough can change the faith level for a whole bunch of people around you in your world. I, that one guy that spoke in tongues in English, I have told that to a pastor in Calgary, and he said, and I actually sent him the recording because I got a little bit of it on my phone, and I realized what was happening. He said, I have to change what I believe about the Holy Spirit. God can do that. It changed what a pastor believes is possible for him and his church. Shimon has no idea the impact he's had. It's so cute. He hasn't a clue. I even played it for him, you know, because he doesn't know. Just, I don't know, was having fun. <laughs> I played it for him. He just, he had no idea. But one person's breakthrough can create a new normal for a whole community. Isn't that fantastic? So I want to encourage you today, and I'm going to bring the message to a close, that before you implement your church growth program, and there needs to be growth, and we're praying for that, but let's look at what level of faith am I operating in right now today? What is, what is an area where I could pray for a neighbor, I could pray for a friend, some need that I have, where... I can reach out and touch Jesus and the result of that is going to change what people believe is possible for their own life. I would love to see a church start to grow based on that. Based on a new normal of faith. And uh, people never went back to the old normal after that. It was a new level of healing. That lady who was so bound up, probably had no idea that within a couple of months, people all around Galilee would be copying her. And she didn't do it for that reason, I'm sure. She was just desperate. But God can take that area in our life that's the weakest, the most desperate, the one that's not working, and he can turn that into our testimony. Stand with me, please. <coughs> Excuse me.
Excuse me. Excuse me. Clear my throat. Would you close your eyes for a moment? What's that thing you need Jesus to do for you today? Is it a healing? If you can, you can discreetly put your hand on that part of the body that you need a touch from Jesus. Do that. Or financial need or children to come back to Jesus or what is that need that comes to your mind? If it's physical, lay your hand there and with the other hand now, let's reach out with our eyes closed and picture that we are the person touching Jesus' cloak. Picture him in your mind, however you like to picture him. Picture yourself reaching out and grabbing fast, not just a touch, not just a glancing fingers on the cloak. You're grabbing a hold with your hand right now. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for the need, physical needs right now, heart conditions, gastrointestinal issues, arthritic conditions. We thank you, Lord, chronic pain. In the name of Jesus, we thank you. We grab a hold of your garment. We grab a hold of your cloak, that which represents your righteousness, the character, the purity, the power that's in you. We grab that right now, and we say, I receive my healing in Jesus' name. You say that. You say that to Jesus. Tell him, Jesus, I receive my healing now. And I declare that families will be reconciled. I declare that there will be words of knowledge for situations. And I declare that you are at work in every life that's called out to you now. In Jesus' name. Everyone said...